Morning, everyone. Well, once again, thanks for being here for the most important thing that we do, joining together around the Word of God, being fed by the Holy Spirit, ministering to one another as we're being ministered to. Amen. This morning we continue in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to end chapter 2, verses 16 to 23 this morning. <clears throat> and so uh, please, I apologize for this, sound like a backfiring old T-model uh, for this week, and I don't know how we'll be going through the class this morning, hopefully okay. I've not been real well this week, but um, here we are. So hopefully the Holy Spirit will minister beyond at any time anybody's abilities and do a great work among us, right? So please forgive me if it sounds disjointed or off the wall or whatever. Just try to put together and hear from the Holy Spirit what he's saying to us. So we continue today. Again, Paul is coming to a place now where he is concluding and making application about this issue of false teaching. What he's done, and you remember, he has spent verses upon verses stating, restating, restating, and then restating. One of the primary objects, I mean, uh, ways, what we're doing, one of the primary manifestations of apostolic teaching is repetition. Uh, I know that some of you think, well, he repeats himself a lot. Well, I do. And yet, if I gave a test on what I have said 16 times, 20% would pass. This is just the fact of the matter. But apostolic teaching repeats. Uh, and we all have to remind ourselves to do this and to ourselves be repeating the gospel regularly to ourselves. And so he has laid a massive foundation, if you would, a doctrinal foundation and a relational foundation. And now he's ready to begin to apply instruction and give direction in relation to what he has said. And one of the things we'll see in the Apostle Paul, one of the things we'll see in the Apostle Peter, one of the things we see in the Apostle John, one of the things we see in Titus, one of the things we see in these men who are given to teach the Word, who are given to minister to the people of God, is this. They care for God's Word. They care for God. They care for the people of God. And they must and are compelled to give instruction concerning the will of God in our lives. And they don't back down for this. And they don't apologize for this. And so here's where we must see something about ourselves in this. We must always be ready to listen, to discern, to appreciate what's happening, to understand when I say appreciate, to understand what's happening, and then to bring the Word of God to bear into the situation if it is needed to be instructed in a particular way to make correction or adjustment. We should not be timid in this area. I don't think in this church we're timid in instructing concerning the will of God. So Paul's going to get right to this. He's pretty direct. When you read these apostles, these guys pull no punches. 
And it may seem, wow, he's being unkind. He's being unloving. No, this is his kindness and love coming through. It's the same thing that we see in the Lord Jesus sometimes. Sometimes he's very quiet and gentle, and sometimes he is pretty loud and direct. And so he allows the Holy Spirit to give him the kind of method in his presentation, but always the truth must be spoken and applied very directly into whatever the situation. So let's read verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Remember what we studied. Christ's victory over the rulers and authorities. Remember in last week we studied verses 13, 14, and 15. Christ's victory, having triumphed over them in him. God has triumphed over all the forces of evil, the devil and his gang, sin, Satan, death. God has won the day where? At the cross, how? By nailing all of the offenses that were against us Because of our sin, all the guilt, all the curse that was against us, having nailed that to the cross, in Jesus' death, our certificate of debt has written across it forever. In the blood of Jesus, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. How much of us has he forgiven? The moment we were conceived, remember, we were conceived in sin. Why? Because of fallenness. We were conceived in sin from the moment of our conception, to the moment of the last breath we take on earth and this soul leaves these bodies, that much sin has been forgiven. So there's no sin in us before we're conceived because we're not there. There's no sin in us after we leave because we're with the Lord. So all the sin that has accumulated, not only the issue of the nature of sin itself, but the activities of sin, everything has been forgiven in Christ. Amen? And so Having understood that victory in Christ, it means that the church has now become God's new Israel, God's new creation. Paul talked about the new Israel of God in Galatians. And now the church is that which God is fulfilling his intention that he began in Adam. What God began in Adam is now being literally fulfilled in us right today. We are the living fulfillment of Genesis 1, 26 to 28. So this means this, that in Christ's death and resurrection, we have been freed from having to observe any and all of the regulations that had to do with the maintenance of the old covenant. Do we see that? We're freed from everything that had to be done in order to maintain the old covenant relationship that God had with Israel. Therefore, so look at the word therefore, Paul starts. Therefore, Paul tells them not to therefore what? Because of everything I've said. Remember everything I said, he said. Gather it all together. This therefore is gathering everything, especially since verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 1. What does that say? I pray that you be filled with the knowledge. With How do you like that? I can't remember now. Anybody remember what 1-9 means? I pray that you be filled with all the knowledge of God's will. No, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That began the whole discourse up to verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, because of what I've said, therefore, 
Paul tells him, don't let anyone pass judgment. You see the word judgment. It doesn't say people can't express their opinion. It doesn't say that we can't discuss these issues. It doesn't say that we can't uh, try to understand what's happening. Pass judgment upon you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What is the word judgment here? What do you think Paul is thinking about? Remember in Matthew 7, 1, what does Jesus say? Judge not that you be not judged. Remember that? Well, how many of you have ever heard when someone says, oh, I, I think you're doing wrong here? And you say, no, we're not supposed to judge one another. How many of you have heard that? How many have, of, you know, we're not supposed to judge one another, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. We are to make evaluations. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us, test yourselves, evaluate yourself to see whether you're even in the faith. Test yourself regularly. The judgment here is katakrima. It means to cast down. It means to make an evaluation that comes up with the understanding that you are under God's condemnation because of whatever it is. And Paul said, don't let anyone put you under condemnation for these issues because you are not doing them or because you were doing them, either side or the other. Because there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Where did we get that from? Who said that? Paul says that where? In Romans what? 8.1. So we need to be careful. He's not saying you can't observe a particular day. You can't eat or not eat a particular food. He doesn't say that. He says you must make an evaluation of what you're doing, of the reason what you're doing. But you don't want to cast a judgment, a condemnation on others if they see it differently. I've told you before, <clears throat> Gene and I have taken uh, a stand that we believe was in the wisdom of God for us. We believe it is wisdom to do this, not to participate in having any alcohol whatsoever ever again in our lives, okay? That's where we are in this. Now, if, if uh, what's your name again? Janet, if y'all drink. I don't know whether Janet drinks. But let's say she and her husband, Julio, have a, a, a wine at night. Now, my personal opinion is, I think it lacks wisdom. Okay, well, you had to give me the freedom. They would say, no, we believe it isn't a lack of wisdom. Okay, fine. But where the difference is, if I say you two are out of the will of God because of what you do, because I have seen this differently, you see, I am now passing judgment on these two for what they're doing when God has given us a direction in wisdom to serve the needs and the weaknesses of the church, but maybe hasn't given it to these two. The other side of that is this, that when you hear something of what I've just said, because this is an issue in the church and this is a touchstone issue, it's a touchstone issue. I say that, and often people say, oh, and they close down. And what you must do is this. Well, wait a minute. Why does that man, why does that lady think this way? Let's find out what is motivating, what is behind this. 
You see, we need to be open to one another in these issues and not be condemning of one another. So Paul says, look, don't let these people come into the church and begin to tell you because you're not worshiping on Saturday, because you're not eating this kind of food, because you're not subscribing to this kind of ritual, because of that, you are under God's condemnation. The only thing now that is unenforced in our lives that is being accomplished by the power and the motivation of the Holy Spirit in me, not by my trying to do it, <clears throat> is the law of God, these great moral, ethical teachings of the Holy Spirit. And they're all wrapped up in this, love one another, because that's a fulfillment of the law. You see, this is the kind of thing that Paul talked to the church in Romans 14. Listen to what he says. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, I am for the person who can eat anything because there's so all kinds of vegetables I ain't going to want to touch. <laughs> Don't let the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So if Janet and Julio don't do subscribe to what Gene and I believe, we are not to be despising one another or questioning one another's faith or maturity in this. Do not let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. One person esteems Sunday as the day of rest. Another believer may think Saturday is the day of rest. Another may say, look, all the days are days of rest, so I esteem them the same way. <laughs> you know? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So whatever it is that we are doing, it must be or it should be undergirded by this. Is this God's will for me? Am I doing what God the Holy Spirit is leading me to do to serve His purposes in the church? Is this what God wants me to do? And is it contrary to the clear teaching of the Word? So if you tell me, look, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me to smoke cigarettes, <clears throat> I'm going to say to you, you have not heard from the right spirit. Why? Because we can go to the Word and begin to discuss why that kind of activity is detrimental to the physical body. Now look at verse 17. These are a shadow. What? Food, drink, days, festivals. By the way, the festivals are the seven Levitical festivals that you see in, you know, listed in Leviticus. Levitical festivals, okay. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come. Paul is telling them not to allow anyone to pass judgment on them in regard to food and drink and days. Why? Because they are shadows. These things were shadows, a partial or incomplete reflection or revelation, which points to something that is to be revealed. And so everybody knows what your shadow is, right? So can you imagine you're standing on the corner and 
a shadow begins to appear as you're standing there, you know, coming down the uh, side of the building, and you don't see anybody. You just see a shadow, a big shadow coming. Now, while the shadow is there, you see something, some kind of making out what it is. You can't quite figure. It, it's a man or woman. We don't, but we know something is going on. We, we see some evidence here, but we don't see yet the reality. And so your eye is where? On the shadow. Now, can you imagine that when the shadow, when the person himself appears, you're continuing to look at the shadow. Hi, Tammy, how are you? I'm pretty good. Well, good to see you today, Tammy. And you're looking at the shadow, and you're talking to the shadow. Well, what kind of a thing is that? <clears throat> These issues were shadows. Remember, they were signs. They were types to be fulfilled. Each one of them talked about having their fulfillment in the Messiah, in the person and in the ministry of the Messiah. So this is what Hebrews 1.1 says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, you see all these shadowy types and, and, and signs and so on, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here is the heart of the issue. Here is the heart of the issue. All of these practices were signs and shadows that had no permanent substance in themselves, but they pointed away from themselves to a coming reality. And what we don't want to do today is to get bogged down into those things that have in themselves no substance. We want to always understand what the substance of the gospel is and go with the substance rather than the non-substance part of the gospel. These practices were enforced as shadows Why? until what? The coming of the light which would dispel the shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. The substance, it is the reality to which the point, uh, shadow pointed. Who is the substance? Every one of these is in Christ fulfilled forever. He is the light that when Christ comes into the world, he is the light who dispels all the shadows. These teachers were saying to these believers, you need to go back to the shadowy land of Judaism. You need to reincorporate these practices that the Jews had in order to be maintained as Christians, maybe even to begun by being Christians. There are some denominations that will teach us that unless you are water baptized, you cannot be saved. Well, you see, water baptism is an outward sign. It's a type of what Jesus accomplishes for us in our salvation. And if we have to depend on being water baptized for our salvation, then the work of the cross is nullified because then it is something about my own work and my own activity that causes me to even join with God, called syncretism, adding something of another way to God's way. And that then I become part of the, part of the activity of salvation. And I can begin to say, I am saved because I I have faith in Jesus, and I got baptized. You see, the apostle says, don't do that. It is all of Christ received by faith, which is also God's gift to us. So the shadow waits 
and bespeaks of the coming of the Messiah. Christ is the substance. He is the reality or the fulfillment to which the shadows pointed. Remember what I just quoted in Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But what does he say in verse 2? But in these last days, what are the last days? The new covenant days, the new creation days. We are living in the new creation days of God's grace. We are now the people of God upon the earth who are, because of the grace of God, being fulfilling the mandate that was given to Adam. Now God has upon the earth the progeny of the last or the second Adam. Remember, Jesus is the last Adam. First, First Corinthians 15, 45. Jesus is the last Adam. And he is the one who has fulfilled all of the mandates and the requirements of the first Adam. How did he do it? By being the son of God, becoming a man, and living in absolute obedience. He won the day. He earned it. He merited God's favor in this. He merited. He won. He earned the right to inherit us. And so now we are his people. And we are that congregation that today on the earth, and we must see ourselves this way, who are the new Israel, the new creation. So what does he say? In these last days, God has spoken to us in son. Now, if you look at your Bible, your Bible will say probably in his son, and the word his is italicized. Well, in the Greek, it's in weos, E-N, weos, which is the word for son. There is no pronoun there. The pronoun is given so you'll understand. I like the idea of saying he has spoken to us in son. Diana, how, what language do you use when you speak to people? Angel. Hopefully nice language. Night ward <laughs> language. Okay, that's sub-English. St. <laughs> Bernard English is sub-sub-English. <clears throat> she speaks in English. Eddie, what language do you speak? English. How many of you, you, you speak Spanish, don't you, Steve? Come on, stop, bro. See? Now, so Eddie speaks Spanish. You see, God's language of love to us is literally son. Son. Jesus is God's literal language to us. We talk about the Word of God. And sometimes we, when we talk about the Word of God, we, we, we disassociate it somewhat from the person of Christ himself. Jesus is God's personal, intimate love, communication, language to each one of us, communicated by the Holy Spirit. Amen? He is literally, God is literally speaking, not English and French and Italian and whatever, but he's speaking the spiritual language of sonship to us. That's what he's doing. That's what Hebrews 1-2 is telling us. In these last days, these days of the new covenant, he has spoken to us in weos, in son. <clears throat> in Christ, God has fulfilled and, completely, and completed every shadow that pointed to him as God's Messiah. In Christ, God has fulfilled and he has completed every shadow that pointed to Christ as God's Messiah who would redeem his people back to his original intention. Remember the road to Damascus experience in Luke 24? The two 
uh, disciples. We don't know whether it's a husband and wife, two guys. We don't, we don't know. We know it wasn't two women because two women would not have been walking alone. So it could have been a husband and wife or two guys. And they're walking along and they're kind of dejected or whatever. And, and uh, you know, look, had we been with Jesus for three years and all of our hopes, oh, all of our dreams, oh, everything, oh, no man has ever done these things. No man has ever excited our spirits. No man has ever opened heaven to us like that. Oh, and then he's dead. What kind of a crashing of hope is that? I mean, anything any of us have ever hoped for something, we didn't get it and we had our hopes crashed, dashed. But this is the major crashing. There is no more dashing of hope than this hope. Because we had hoped that he was the anointed, the Messiah. We had hoped. They were downcast. And believe me, they were dragging on back to Emmaus. They were dragging on. Sharice, they were dragging. And I would have been dragging with them. And Jesus appeared to them. Hey, what's happening? Where you been? You don't know what's been going on? You don't know all the things that have been going on? Now, Jesus is, is smart. He says, oh, yeah, I know about them. No, he says, what things? He doesn't say he doesn't know. He's eliciting, eliciting from them what has happened. Cliff, what things? And then they started talking about Jesus and hope in the Messiah, and, you know, he got crucified. And even some of the women were running around, you know, with all this hallucinating stuff. You know how women are. They can be so emotional. They thought they saw somebody. You know, we know that's not true because they're women. Well, I mean, you know, women are daffy like that. They're emotional. They get strung out. So we can't trust the women, right? When you read Luke, Luke, you know, raises the issue of women and brings them up to a better place than any of the other gospel writers does. And then Jesus did what? Look at verse 27, Luke 24. You may be in your notes. Is it in your notes? Huh? Evan put it in there? And beginning where? What is Moses? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Numbers and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch. The law. The covenant. The Torah. All this stuff, festivals and days and ceremonies, all of that, beginning with Moses, and then where did he go? The what? He talked about the prophets, and what, then what else? What did he do? What did he say? He gathers them all up, and he showed that almost all of it, right, Mike? Almost all of it. How much of it? All of it pertained to whom? Himself. Here is a risen man, the embodiment of everything that God promised and prophesied and purposed in the Old Testament. Here is the man himself standing among them, having in himself and by himself the total fulfillment of everything. And then he broke bread, remember, and he disappeared. 
And they said, oh, their eyes were open. And he, they said, did our hearts what? Not what? Burn within us. Oh. And they dragged what? No more. But they got up, and what did they do? They turned around and went back to Jerusalem. You see, he turned their life around. Aren't you glad he doesn't say, you know, I've accomplished everything but a few things, and I'm going to do most of it, but here's a couple little things you've got to add to it. Susie, what would happen? We would fail in those couple little things. Bill, we would fail, wouldn't we, in those couple little things, right? Grandpa, we would fail what? In those couple little things. If there are any couple of little things that are required for me to do <clears throat> in order to add to what Jesus has done and to complete it, Errol, you're going to fail in those couple of little things. Now, don't come out of here saying, well, Peter's teaching you don't have to obey. If you've been in here enough, you should know better than that. And I hopefully will have time to get to what I want to say about that in a moment. Let no one disqualify you, verse 18 to 19. <clears throat> no, no one what? Let no one what? You see, we're too quick. Let no one what? Disqualify you. Look at his concern. Paul is not just throwing out some terms to kind of frighten them and unsettle them. This man is speaking the truth. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, whatever, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding too fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. You know, Paul just can't say, don't let anybody disqualify you. He has just got to say more about Christ. Amen? You know how he is? He just, I just have to say this while I'm here. Don't let anybody disqualify you. By agreeing to observe some of these shadowy signs, by agreeing to observe just one or two of them or some of them. Their faith in the sufficiency of Christ would be weakened, allowing the work of Satan to potentially defraud them of Christ. Now, we didn't say you're defrauded if you add something to the faith and you have gotten it wrong. But what happens is it's a seed that, if it's not extracted, can begin to grow and grow. And Paul says it can defraud us. Satan's purpose through these kinds of observances, whether we had them and we do have them among ourselves, was to defraud them of their salvation by tempting them to turn their attention to certain types of testimonies. Somebody said to me the other day, oh, did you go see Heaven's For Real? I said, I don't need to see it. I know Heaven's For Real. Well, you know, <clears throat> why do I need to go see some movie? Oh, but it was, I said, you know, and this was a person sitting next to me in the coffee company. This time, Linda, I was minding my own business. <laughs> and it's the second time in my life. <laughs> the first time was 10 seconds after I was born. And I said, you know, there's difficulty here. Well, what do you mean? I said, because when you compare what the movie states and asserts to what the Word of God says, there is a major disconnect. 
And I said, we must be careful always of listening, not listening to, but listening to and, and accepting and agreeing and allowing it to touch us way of any testimony, of any activity that in any way is contrary to the Word of God. And how do you know that these testimonies or teachings are contrary to the Word of God if you do not know the Word of God? You see, whether a testimony like that lifts you up or casts you down, either one is wrong. We're to be anchored in Christ, and we're not to be cast up, oh, it's wonderful, or another testimony, oh, I'm afraid. We're supposed to be stabilized in Christ, amen? Because being cast up can disconnect us from Christ because we look somewhere else. Casting down can create fear in us, and we look somewhere else. The result is the same. So whether you're up or down, it doesn't make any difference. The result is the same. We begin to look away from Christ. So purpose of Satan is to disconnect them, you see, by tempting them to turn their attention to certain types of testimonies, to a particular lifestyle. There are people in this church, and, and I admire them, that don't have TVs. Anybody in here, don't have, you don't have a TV? There are particular people, there are a handful of people in this church who don't have a TV, one. Now, does that mean you're more holy than the rest of us? Hopefully I don't think that, and hopefully you don't either. So we're going to say, oh, this man must be holy because, oh, this person over here is holy because he, or he's, we have to be careful of these things. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Certain types of lifestyles that might seem more holy, all of which are a result of pride. Now, it's not pride because you don't have a TV or you do have one, or it might be. I don't know. You could say it's pride because you don't drink. Well, I, you know, I realize that. Hopefully it isn't, but, you know, whatever. But we don't want to elevate one another because of the way we are walking with the Lord and say, oh, well, the, he, he and Gene are more holy than everybody else because they don't drink. I wish I was like them. Don't do that. You see, Jesus encountered these kinds of things, and Paul encountered these kinds of super apostles. When you read 2 Corinthians, Paul's apostolic credentials were under fire. It starts in 1 Corinthians, but it's accentuated in the letter of the 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> and he, you, 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 depending on your translation, it may say super apostles, superlative apostles, you know, depending on your translation. Well, what was happening? Well, people were coming into the church and saying, well, wait, wait, what kind of teacher is Paul? First of all, and, and I'm not being silly, he's all bent over and crooked. He has bad eyes. There's something wrong with his eyes. I mean, remember, read Galatians. He has an eye problem. He's all bent over. He's hurting. Why? The guy's been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, and everything else. And they didn't have ibuprofen in those days. And, and what do you call this stuff you put in your shoulder to help it? What, what did I have? Say it again. A cortisone? Zone. Gene always corrects me. Cortisone. Is that right? I say cortisone, but whatever. I'm from New Orleans. Where are you from? Oh, she's from uptown. Mm. So <laughs> I taught in St. Bernard. You have to remember that, darling. 
And what am I talking about? Help me to remember where we're going. What? Oh, false teaching, superlative apostle. So Paul didn't have cortisone. He didn't have all that. He had broken bones probably. They stoned him in Lystra, remember? And they didn't do just the They hurled big stones at him. He had cuts and scrapes and, and, and gashes in his skin. And, and the worst of it is, he, he wasn't some kind of way of good speaker. He, he just wasn't an orator. He tried, you know, some kind of way. He, he, he spoke, but he just didn't get his, he, he wasn't one of these flowing orators of the Greek type that could sway the people in their magnificent terminologies. He wasn't that way. And these guys saying, are you kidding? This guy can't be a, an apostle. Look, he's all beaten up. Unless if he had faith, he wouldn't have had to go through all that. He can't be an apostle because look at his eyesight. He'd have been healed by now. This is still teaching in the church. He can't be an apostle because he doesn't speak well. And so he had to defend his apostolic credentials. Why? Because if they can get him uncredentialed apostolically, does that make sense to you? Then it undermines the gospel that he has taught. So he is driven made to share about himself and his own credentials. And he speaks. He says, let me speak as a madman, as if insane. He says, I hate to do this. I am here to speak about Christ, but I must do it in order to protect the gospel in you, church. He says in 2 Corinthians 11.5, Indeed, I consider that I am not in least in the least inferior to these super apostles. And even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is, with no, it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul is not afraid to calling people out. May I make just a quick comment? I do not believe, and none of us as a leadership team would teach you, don't listen to Christian teaching apart from this church. We would never do that because it's wrong. But I do say this. There are some in the church who constantly listen to so much and their variations, this and that, and it's so much, it's like gluttoning yourself with food. <clears throat> It is better if you're listening to 15 people a day and this and that and the other thing to back out a lot of that. Read your word more. Spend more time with the Lord. Study what the church is teaching and maybe take one or two other teachers if you feel this is how the Lord is leading and do that. Don't be unwise. Be very careful what's out there in what is called Christianity. A lot of it is accurate and great and incredible. And a lot of it is deceitful. Amen? Let's be careful about these things. And if you're listening to something you're not quite sure about what it is, come and ask. Now, we may not even know who the teacher is, but we'll try to help you with this. 
Therefore, you see, the church was not to allow itself to be put under any obligation for the practices that were intended to be temporary. He says, not holding to the head, for whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Such teachers were not adhering to the gospel teachings, which alone, alone was able to nourish the church. The gospel was being watered down. Only the gospel produces the work of God in us. Only grace overcomes the issues of my immaturity, the issues of sin, <clears throat> the issues of relational difficulties. Only God's grace. Amen? No law, no regulation, no denying myself certain things, no requiring of you to do whatever. It is only by God's grace as God himself opens to our minds and feeds us the way he always does in his kindness and goodness and gentleness and transforms me. And then I, in response, share that kind of life with you. Uh, we're going to be taking off for the next two weeks. And so we'll be back, what is that, January 11th? And we'll start chapter 3. Thank you so much. And be praying for me for the service this morning that I'll be able to do okay.